We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0, and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair... Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Welcome to episode 202 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and sponsored betonline.ag. Hit that subscription button to be first to listen to the hottest takes on the biggest stories coming out of the Camp No. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm again joined by Frances Tomas, Barca columnist featured on ESPN, Barca Blog, and many others. Frances, it feels like La Liga has slipped away after Barca's 2-2 draw with Atletico Madrid, but the drama, at least we always have something to talk about. Hola, Gules. Um, yeah, everyone is saying that La Liga has been lost. I'm more optimistic than that. I don't want to discard anything until it's mathematically impossible to win it. Um, I have to say Real Madrid haven't been that solid, to be honest. It's obvious that Barca have been way worse, um, having drawn three out of the last four matches, playing really badly, etc. I'm sure we're going to get into that in a minute. But um, Real Madrid, they haven't been incredible. Um, like we say in Spanish, they're not, no están para tirar cohetes. They're not throwing rockets up in the sky, celebrating how great they've been. It's just that they have been more solid. But, you know, we still have plenty of matches to go. Um, I think it is very difficult that Barca will win La Liga. But until we're mathematically out, um, I don't want to discard it at all. Yeah, I broke down tactically what Barca, I think, did right and what Kike Setien's game plan how it was correct to start the match against Atletico Madrid. But at least since Barca has come back, Kike Setien just hasn't been able to finish matches while Real Madrid have just found a way to get results. And I think that's been the big difference between the two so far. So we are going to start this show. Today is an edition of La Ronda where we have our listener questions. So we're going to start with a few questions about the match yesterday, Barca's 2-2 draw with Atletico Madrid at home. And then we are going to head into some bigger and broader questions for the rest of the show. But where we start is a question from Eric, which is where I think this game kind of went awry and why it wound up being a draw. Is there any logic in Kike Setien's use of subs during the match? And if so, what is it? That being that he used Sergio Roberto in the 63rd minute, and then it wasn't until the 85th minute when Ansu Fati came on, and Antoine Griezmann came on in the 90th. And if so, what is it? That being the logic of his using the subs. Also, do you think Setien is even in control of the club? And to what extent are the mainstay players actually calling the shots? And Frances, boy, oh boy, that post-match conference yesterday with Kike Setien where he spoke about Antoine Griezmann and he spoke about his options. It sounds like a man who doesn't really have any control in the club. I don't, I don't even understand the counter-argument there that he feels that having Antoine Griezmann on the field is just not a viable option for Barca at the moment. It's, it's, it's absurd, right? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that Setien is um, basically <laughs> trying to tie his own neck up, um, doing all he can to to be out of the club um, with with uh, words like that in front of the media. It just doesn't make any total sense whatsoever. Um, on the run up to the to the game against Atletico, he was saying that he couldn't implement everything he wanted. Um, obviously, therefore, admitting that. The players have way too much power and don't let him do what he wants to do. Um, that's a sign of incredible weakness. Um, I, I'm not a great admirer of Mourinho. And if you've been listening to the podcast for three years, you understand that. But Mourinho wouldn't have that being said about him or Guardiola or Klopp or any of the great managers. Luis Aragonés, Vicente del Bosque. You would have never seen any of those great managers having to go into a press conference and, and just say that to, to the world. And it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The, the game against Atletico started with a 4-4-2 formation, which is different from what he's done traditionally uh, since he's been at Barca. Um, I want to rewind a little bit more. In the first three matches of Setien at Barca, he actually had three at the back and then had the two fullbacks pushing forward. Effectively, a 5-1-3-1 moving forward. And the players just didn't want that. And after three matches, they made their feelings really, really clear. And Setien went back to the 4-3-3, which is what Valverde had been trying to do. And obviously not that successfully. Um, fast forward to um, you know, the, the restart after the pandemic. And the team just, again, the players seem to have decided that the formation needed to change. Um, it looks like Messi basically picked the team. I'm not, I'm not blaming Messi at all here. But... I, I just feel that that's the team that Messi would have liked to play the way that Messi would have liked the team to play. I mean, when you've got Rakitic and Vidal and Busquets and Luis Suarez starting the whole game, it just doesn't really make much sense to me. And, and as the game developed, it was clear that Atletico, well, Simeone, knew what he had to do, which is add fr some fresh legs as the second half went by. And uh, either Setien fell asleep or he didn't quite understand the basic sort of um, counting up in La Liga. The fact that unless we won that game, we technically would be out of the fight for La Liga. In the 84th minute, he brings on Ansu Fati, which, you know, in my eyes, myself, and I did this in the preview in Barca blog, I would have either started or brought up in the 50th, 55th minute tops. Um, someone who with those with that freshness, those legs, and that ability to unbalance games as he's shown time and time again since the restart after the pandemic, it just doesn't make any sense. And to bring on Griezmann against his former team, a team in which, you know, he was a legend for two, three years, scoring plenty of goals for fun in the 19th minute, to me, that's, that's a humiliation. I, I don't understand. Um, Griezmann's brother and father have gone on, on Instagram and basically blasted Setien's handling of, of his son. And uh, his dad actually said, you're just a passenger. How dare you uh, treat my son like that sort of thing? And I have to sympathize with him. I mean, Griezmann, we have criticized him in the podcast because he hasn't always adapted to the formation and to his, his environment and, you know, having Messi alongside him. But we can never doubt his commitment. We can never doubt the fact that, yes, he, he adds something a little bit different. Um, and to bring him on on the 19th minute, I think is it makes no sense, especially when the whole of La Liga is at stake. You're playing the third team at the Camp Nou. It's just, I'm, I don't have words to describe it anymore. Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, you understand, even with Kike Setien's comments about Luis Suarez, that Luis Suarez came out before the pandemic and said that I want to be pushed, right? I, I want somebody, but he doesn't. I mean, that's true that you understand that Luis Suarez, and I can't speak exactly for Messi, he is the captain, but Luis Suarez, who is not a captain, clearly does not respect in any way Kike Setien. And I think that they're, at these big clubs, it's almost understood that we go, okay, these are the biggest winners in the world. So they're cutthroat. I mean, that's what I was talking about about a month ago, even about Bayern Munich, that those Bayern Munich players will eat younger players alive. They will eat managers alive if you're not up to the task. And it's for the people in charge to put somebody in charge who can kind of rein it all in and get them to buy into something. But I think what happens at Barca is there just is an extreme disrespect for any authority figure in charge if it doesn't go with those ideas. And the other thing I want to mention to you is you were speaking about the formation and Antonio asked after watching Barca play a game where the only bright spot was Puj, seeing Vidal crowding areas in the last third for most of the game, what else could we do with him? So about Vidal and Puj, it's interesting to me that Diego Simeone 
all year long has gone with that 4-4-2. He's gone with the same system. He has Marcos Llorente, who was a defensive midfielder for in his time with Real Madrid when he was out on loan. And now he's playing basically in that 4-4-2 up top of Diego Costa and has a little more of a free-range role, but he does lead the press and can be creative up there. And it's something that has worked. And Diego Simeone found something that worked. And Atletico Madrid by this year, by recent standards, have not been anywhere as good as they usually are. But yet, they're third. They knocked Liverpool out of the Champions League. So still, results are coming. And that's because Diego Simeone has a system and has the power to stick with it. And for Barca, this is the first time. And it wasn't even a 4-3-3 yesterday. I mean, truthfully, it was, as you had said, it was a 4-1-3-2, potentially, with Busquets the one in as a defensive midfielder. But uh, more often than not, even it was basically a midfield diamond with Puj at the, I guess we'll say the attacking midfield spot, and then Vidal and Rakitic out wide supporting the fullbacks, and then Busquets in as a defensive midfielder. And that was the first time Barca had played at formation. And I think it actually, it was a good game plan. So where I, it's, I'm not even defending Kike Setien, right? I'm saying he's a, it is a tale of two halves. I think since the, the, the break, he has gotten his game plan, his initial X's and O's, correct more often than not. And Barca have begun these matches, even against Atletico Madrid. They didn't come out of the gate completely flying, and neither did Atletico Madrid. I thought it was two very, very good teams who were going punch for punch for the start of that game. And we'll talk about the goals in a second, but they were all ugly. Not a single one, an own goal, and then three penalties. So that's exactly the way that Atletico Madrid wanted to play that game. You know, it's difficult to score against them in open play. But as I said, for having a first formation and going with a lineup for the very first time, you'd never seen Puj start with Busquets, Rakitic, and Vidal before. I think they actually had pretty good instruction and it, they made it work. But because the players do control what happens, even throughout a match, Kike Setien is completely neutered to put in players that he might want to put in or put in the players that could be put in at certain times. And the, the once that once he gives the players a game plan, it seems like they decide what happens after that. And that is the big issue here where I can say compliments to Kike Setien for having a good game plan to start these matches. But my goodness, you have such little power in the second half of matches because the players are going to decide how things turn out. Exactly. And you can say that, especially when is the water break. Um, yesterday, there was a picture that struck me while I was watching the match. And it's just that Simeone had the whole of the Atletico team listening to him. They were all huddled up. They were all in a circle. They were all attentive. He was giving instructions. He was the leader. The same way that Guardiola would have done. The same way that even Luis Enrique would have done. And then you've got in Setien's side, the Barca side, you've got Kike Setien just standing there doing next to nothing, hoping that if he does speak to someone, they don't necessarily walk away from him. Um, I saw Kike Sarabia speaking to Ricky Puig, which, to be honest, he's the only one that will 100% listen to you uh, if you're the second of Setien and Setien is doing nothing. But the rest of the players, they just went for water and went, walked away. And this is a team that, you know, as you have said, they were set up, I wouldn't say amazingly from the beginning, but they were set up in a way that, you know, it would allow them to succeed in the match. And the game's just, just eternal for them. They, they just don't know what they're doing with the ball. They don't know where they're going. And I'm not doubting the players want to do well, it's just that they don't have the fuel, they don't have the legs, they don't have the freshness to actually make it happen. And, you know, in a team of obviously 11 players, you may have one or two that, you know, are suffering a little bit from fitness. But this is because of the age. I mean, father time is undefeated. Because of age, these players cannot continue to play every 72 hours and playing over 60 minutes in every match. It's just, it just can't happen. I mean, I think that overall Barca were better than Atletico, but... It just wasn't that much of a big difference. It never is against Atletico anyway. But when you've got Simeone totally on the ball, bringing fresh legs, bringing dynamism, bringing hungry players on, and then we stuck with Luis Suarez for 85 minutes, we got Vidal for 90 minutes, etc., 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 it's just never going to work. Yeah, and I think that was the point, that there was clearly desire. There was clearly a hunger. And you could see late that I think the older players, they know and understand how to keep something in the tank and to use it at the end of the match. And that's why Vidal, I was even wondering that when Sergio Roberto came on for even Rakitic in the second half, he made one late run into the box and he wound up being the farthest forward. And that was the first time that the, we'll say, quote unquote, left interior or the left midfielder had made a run into that box in that way. And then after that, you saw that Ituri Vidal, for I'm not sure what reason, he winds up making two late runs and is 
gets the best opportunities Barca had late in the match. And I wonder if that's just because the spacing changed a bit. Or was it that Barca are just desperate late on? And these older players know that, okay, once the 80th minute comes on, I know I have to keep just enough in the tank so that I can throw this out. I think, I mean, the better idea would be if I don't give everything I have in this match up to the 80th minute, I'm coming off. And the manager is going to recognize that. And he's going to put in somebody who's going to give 100% for the last 30 minutes. And that just doesn't happen. You know, that Luis Suarez goes, okay, if I give 60% this entire match, I'll put in a banger and this will be great and we'll win the match. But to go 60% against Atletico Madrid, yeah, it's just not going to get the job done. And it's unfortunate. And as I said, it's never an indictment of Luis Suarez. Like, it seems like we get into these cyclical arguments about these players where are they guys that you can keep out there long enough to get the goal, right? Because if you take Luis Suarez off, then he can't score those galazos, right? He can't be the hero in those moments. But when he's not the hero and when he doesn't put that ball home, things look really, really sour when he's playing 90 minutes every three days, as you're saying, especially on uh, on new knees and knees that I think are never going to be the same. Now, I think it's time to hit a break and then we're going to talk a little VAR and then move on from the Barca Atletico Madrid match. So let's hit that break now. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and Bet Online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. All right, Frances, I want to finish up talking about the match with Atletico Madrid and that draw, and then we're going to move on to bigger ideas. But before that, there were three penalties in this match. So I think we do need to talk about VAR just a little bit and some of the things that, not even coming from us, but you could see the complaints from the players after Ter Stegen had clearly taken a step, and VAR recognized that correctly, I think. But uh, there's a lot of things suspect in this match, and I think that taints the 700th goal by Messi just a little bit, where not only the final result, but I think even if they had won, it's great that the, the Panenka winds up being a 700th goal and something we'll remember, sure. But the fact that the way he even got that, where Semedo being brought down in the way that he did in a very, very soft way, we have to admit that, that winds up being Messi's 700th goal. I think it's just an interesting part of something that we won't remember. It's a footnote now. We'll just remember the Panenka was 700. But uh, VAR had a lot to do in this match, maybe more than Messi. For sure. Um, I think that, and I'm not really in the mood today. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, and the thing is, we are human as well. And hopefully our listeners understand and, and they are feeling the way we feel. Uh, it's not always easy to come in here and just talk about, you know, making a 40, 50 minute show um, after the terrible performance that we saw yesterday. But not just yesterday, but has been accumulating over the last five weeks since, you know, since we restarted La Liga. Um, I am very happy that Messi got to 700 goals. Um, I am... Very pleased that he scored it in style. Um, when you go back to history books, uh, when he retires, eventually, hopefully, you know, we still have another three, four, five years of him. I don't think we will, but let's just be hopeful with that. Um, we will look back at the 100, 200, etc. And when we get to the 700th goal, it's going to be really nice and, and pretty. Now, what really concerns me today, and that's really good. I don't want to sound ungrateful, but, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have Messi. He is a difference maker. He, we wouldn't be where we are today without Messi. That being said, what really matters about Messi today is that he went 340 minutes without a goal, and that generated one of the biggest Barca institutional crises that we remember, um, probably since the Real Sociedad game when Luis Enrique was in charge that, you know, to be honest, happened around January, February, and then it resulted in us winning the treble. So, you know, if, that, if that's going to be un punto de inflexión, like a changing point, in, in time, then then so be it. But I think that the, the relevant point here is that Messi hasn't really found the goal easily lately. And, you know, he's human. That, that can happen. But he is such a great player. He's such an influential player. And he always turns up. And when he doesn't, you can see all the other cracks that keep happening around him. And, you know, unfortunately, that's, that's where we are today. Um, about VAR, I don't want to say too much. It's just that, you know... When things don't go well, little things that normally wouldn't happen tend to come to the surface. I mean, we, we drew the games against Atletico in arguably the most decisive game in La Liga after conceding two penalties. Two penalties, as, as you mentioned, with the Semedo one. 
they were really, really soft. They, they were right, in my opinion. I've, I've watched them between one and seven million times again, just to be sure what I'm saying. I think they were both penalties. Um, they were really unclever penalties to give away. But, you know, when you are down, then, then, then things like this happen. Um, the Diego Costa penalty that had to be repeated, if you look at the rule book, it was, the referee was right to repeat it. But then you think about, okay, wait a second. If that was Real Madrid and that was Courtois down there, would that penalty have been repeated? And, you know, I think our listeners have the answer to that. Um, I've done some research, and this season in La Liga, Barca have had six penalties for and seven against. And considering that Barca is an attacking team that plays the vast majority of the game in the opponent's half, then I think that's, that's really telling. We have had five players sent off and our rivals have only had two in the whole of La Liga. And we've seen 88 yellow cards and our rivals have only seen 80. Now, I'm not giving these stats to whine or to make excuses. I think that between Valverde and Setien and most importantly Bartomeu and their squad management, they have taken us where we are today. But I think that it is telling, or at least it is important for us all to know, that um, refereeing stats seem to be a little bit different this year. Well, I think part of that too is that Barca wind up getting caught on the counter so much. And you can even see that first goal. And I mentioned it yesterday in Tactical Breakdown that Sergio Busquets is usually not in the position at the near post to use his height and confuse and shade the ball in the way he did. So Diego Costa, it's an own goal. I don't think he ever saw it. I don't think Oblak ever saw it because for once, Sergio Busquets was standing at that front post because usually what happens, especially on the Kike Setien and Ernesto Valverde, so that's, I mean, all we have to negotiate for three years as all these players hit 30 and up, that they always try to reinforce and make sure that they don't get cut out on the counterattack. That is the most important thing that these Barca managers do, especially. And that's why you see so many short corners. It's not to disguise anything. It's that they simply do not want to be caught with the team going the other way if the ball fortuitously falls to a goalkeeper and there's an outlet or something happens. So I think the other big reason why you see so many yellows is Barca have had more professional fouls where I think of Lenglet, How The reason why Lenglet, who's been really solid again, the reason he picks up so many yellows is because he has to do those, we'll call them professional fouls, where he brings a guy who's out on the break and he gets a quick yellow card that way. And then yesterday we see that Gerard Piquet, who's been really good since the, the break, I mean, he looked refreshed, he looked good, but he has not, he didn't bring his best yesterday. He looked like he was 33 years old and that's where you saw the problems. But I'll try to be positive here with a question from Pancho. Who do you think has been the most improved player post-pandemic? Ricky Butch because he's been allowed to play, isn't it? Um, well, I, he, I guess I would say, might... well, I guess I would, I would ask you then somebody else, because obviously that's an obvious answer, that he didn't get to play earlier. And I think part of that reasoning, and the only reason he is playing is because De Young is injured. So I think this is even a different conversation that we don't need to have. Because earlier in the year, when, especially when Kike Setin tried to be brave and start him in his first match, or, or play him rather in his first match, give him some minutes, we saw that he was immediately kicked back out. But because Arthur is heading off to Juventus for un, uh, sporting related reasons and De Young is hurt, it's the only reason Puj is playing. Because clearly, clearly, if you would watch this kid, and I think it is even a bigger indictment of Kike Setting at the moment, that if he was seeing what we were seeing now in the matches, if he's seeing that in practice, and he waited until now and kept saying that Ricky Puj wasn't ready, he wasn't ready, he wasn't ready. There is nothing that would have radically changed. There's not like there would have been a light bulb, a eureka moment where in the in over the course of the pandemic, he would have said, OK, I couldn't do X, Y, Z then or I couldn't be in the defensive positions or I couldn't fight hard enough or I, I didn't understand where I need to be in the field. There's no way that there was this big change of, of, of thinking. It's just that he is now getting time now because De Young is hurt uh, and Arthur is, is out of the club. That's the only reason. And he's clearly proven that he has earned his minutes and deserves to be there. So I think I have to ask okay. you to give another player. Yeah. Yep, yep. Let's do that. So um, I'm still going to go with Ricky. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say Rakitic has been better. I know I'm going to get killed for this one. No, I think, I think you're Rakitic right. I don't, been... I, don't, I don't think you should be killed for that. I think he, he has been better, but it also means that he was so poor beforehand that just playing and being on the field and being a tad positive sometimes. But yeah, I agree. Exactly. So, exactly. So I think Rakitic has been a little bit better. I think take away the last two matches, I think Vidal was better. Um, I think Vidal was much more influential running from deep when Suarez really wasn't playing. Because um, I think that the main problem when you've got Suarez and Vidal playing together is that Vidal tends to run into the space that Suarez it seems to be just plonked in there. 
you know? And I think that he's plonked there for a reason, is just to be uh, that central reference and to be sort of the physical, aggressive Suarez that we all, we all love. But obviously, he's not as mobile. So the, when Vidal is coming through, Suarez is going to be in the very same spot. So I think they, they cancel each other out. Um, I could pick Ter Stegen. But I think Ter Stegen has been great all year. So I don't think he has improved significantly. I think that he just has been at that, you know, arguably our best player of season. So I'm going to go with Lenglet. I'm going to go with Clement Lenglet because I think that when he doesn't play, he didn't play when Umtiti uh, made those mistakes in, in Vigo. Um, the team is just different, um, different in terms of much more, even weaker when you come to the, your back line. So I think that Lenglet has been solid. I don't remember any clear mistakes that he's made. Um, when he's building from behind, obviously the ball seems to come through through Gerard Piquet much more often. And obviously that's, that's been the case for, for decades, for over a decade at Barca. But I think Lenglet is, is playing well. And I think that without him, it's obvious that Barca are a weaker team. So I'm going to go with him. Yeah, I think one of two, those two is the right answer. I think Jordi Alba and PK and Semedo, they've all had really good games since this came back. But then you look at yesterday for all three of them, not so great. Well, Semedo, he was even a tale of two halves where he was really poor in the first half. And just like Vidal, he wound up turning on in the second half. Both of them, I thought, were much, much better in the second half. I think the reason why we see Semedo doing better in the second half is because he's much, much fitter than the vast majority of his teammates. He is someone that is, is fresh, he's so mentally and physically, clearly. So when everyone starts winding down, when you know, you've got these 31, 32, 33-year-olds that with the best will in the world, I don't doubt that they want to do well. They just can't, can't play every three days for more than 60, 70 minutes. So in the last 20, 30 minutes, the players themselves know you need to look for Semedo as an outlet because he will continue to, to push forward. I don't think Semedo is fantastic, but you know when he's got that level of fitness and he has improved tremendously over the last two years at Barca, let's just say that as well, I think that he's a reliable outlet. But I think that in an ideal world, Semedo wouldn't really be starting at Barca. I think he's such a, a polarizing figure and it's so difficult because there are these things that you, the talking points about Semedo are the same ones every time. Let me just answer here, then we'll move on. That everyone always says, okay, he's not Danny Alves, obviously. Yep, he's not Danny Alves. We got that. Thanks for reminding everybody that we had maybe the one of the top two, three right backs ever to play this game, ever to have boots on their feet. And we saw him in the last 10 years. So yes, Nelson Semedo is not Danny Alves. Very true. But the responsibilities of Semedo as well. He's not terrific on the ball and his crossing is not, not that Barca crosses a lot either, but his ability to cut inside, he favors his right foot a lot. He kind of does limit himself, and if a defender can cut down that space for where he can deliver a pass with his right foot, he struggles and does have to cut things back out. But he also has to be very judicial in the way that he attacks in one-on-one, and where the way Alba always goes and overlaps on the left side, Semedo doesn't have that license because he always has to be defending for Messi, and I think that is what Vidal and Semedo were even struggling with in that first half, where because Messi, in theory, is supposed to be that right winger, or he occupies that space on the right wing that they have to then defend for. So you're asking them to get involved in the attack, and you're asking them to also defend for Messi in a way that Danny Alves didn't have to defend for Messi, that Messi was five, six, seven, eight years younger when when they were supporting one another. So you're just asking so much of Semedo, and you're seeing that he is a player good enough to play at Barca, but he's not a player that, if you put him on the left side, you could really see what he could do. And we've seen that he's, that's why he fits so well on the left side as a left back and why he kind of fit in there when Jordi Alba was out with injury early in the year because he has a talent to do that. But when you're asking him to both defend for Messi and be in support there, but also get really involved and be compared to Danny Alves is an impossible ask. So I think we're kind of stuck with the narrative on Semedo, and I don't know how that changes. I don't think it does. I think the way that Barca is built, it just defines what we're going to think of Semedo. So speaking of Nelson Semedo, and I'm going to shift a little bit here with talking about starting 11s or who should be playing here. Dirk asks, in a typical season, you might expect Barca to shift its focus to Champions League. But since they aren't happening in parallel this summer, do we A, expect Barca to shift its focus now? And you and I both said the Liga, I don't think is completely gone, but it feels a little more out of the grasp. B, if so, what would that mean? More playing time for Barca B players, more experimentation with the lineup to find the best starting 11 for August, perhaps even some breaks for Messi. <gasps> Dirk. Or perhaps more showcasing of those we plan to transfer out of the club after the season. And Jorge, and Jorge adds, what are the band-aids we use for the Champions League to cover up wounds until next season? Francesc, my initial reaction here is that Barca 
would never, this team in particular, would never admit that La Liga is gone. So I don't think you're going to see that many changes. No, of course. I agree. I agree. I think that we need to continue to fight until the very last minute. I think it would be beneath what Barca has been and I want to say is, but clearly we are not in the best uh, sporting position and institutional position at all in, in our history, for sure. Um, so I think that we continue to push for La Liga until it's mathematically gone. Um, I, I do believe Madrid will lose points. You know, maybe you listen to this podcast in a month's time and, and I was stupid to say this. But I think Madrid haven't been solid enough to win every game. Um, I think that if they can beat Leganes, uh, which could happen, um, then being four points behind, that is significant. But I don't think, I'm not sure that they will. Um, so we just need to continue to push and, and do everything within our power to be in a great position um, because otherwise our players will be out of shape when the Champions League comes, you know. Um, another point I want to mention is that I was reading the other day that Zidane has used 21 out of the 22 players at his disposal. So that's why they are fresher. That's why they can, you know, they can start a game like everyone does and actually last 90 minutes. Barca haven't over the last five, six games since the restart. And... That's, that's, that's very disappointing. That's just bad score management. So I think with this, we need to go into the question of, you know, we, there were some reports in, in the Catalan press saying that obviously Bartomeu and Avidal went to Setien's home, I think it was um, a couple of days ago, um, just to, to reinforce that, you know, they trust him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I've been watching football and being part of football for a long, long time. And when the chairman and the president, vice president, whatever you want to call them, when the board of directors and the sporting director go and tell you, don't worry, mate, you are safe, that means the complete opposite. Yeah. That means that, hey, we know what's happening, we see what's happening, we hear what's happening from the players, from the media, from the environment, and just to let you know, we trust you. But really what they're saying is we are watching you very, very closely. Now, there were some reports in Catalonia Radio a couple of days ago as well, that, that, that very night. And they were saying that um, Garcia Pimienta has been rumored to be taking, taking the reins of the first team, uh, which is very shocking because, you know, I don't know if the listeners know this, but Garcia Pimienta's contract was expiring today, the 1st of July. Today it was expiring. He got his renewal yesterday. And there was some talk that, you know, the, the contract wasn't finalized. And the Catalan radio was saying, this is Club de la Mijanit, I mean, Catalonia Radio. They were saying that it was perhaps because they were adding some clause about, you know, being promoted to the first team. Like, I don't know if this story is true. Um, I do think that, you know, I'm really disappointed. I really am disappointed. I know I'm, I'm jumping all over the place today, but it's just because my head is all over the place, like the team is. I am really disappointed that Setien has not managed to implement what he said he was going to implement. You know, I, I have been defending Setien's arrival for, for many, many years even, you know, even from the time he was coaching at Betis because I could see him bringing that attacking magic and, and know-how and dynamism to our team. But he just hasn't. He just hasn't. He seems to have bent it over backwards for this, what, you know, the, the, the phrase right now is player power to whatever Messi and Suarez and Piquet, et cetera, want. And I am just really, really disappointed that that is happening. So that being said, I don't know what the board is going to do. I think for uh, Barca haven't traditionally sacked any managers over the last 15 years. And to have three managers in the same season, I think it would be a bit too much. But then again, you look at the response from the players. They've got, they've got no regard for Setien or his second manager. So really, what benefit what impact what purpose is there to keep that manager to be honest i'm happy i don't have to take that decision because my heart is divided i believe in what setien represents but i do not believe that what setien has shown as a Barca manager is enough to keep him so i think we need to watch this space really yeah i think jorge band-aids is the right word there where in the case of fc barcelona I think even just a few months ago, remember the social media scandal that didn't go anywhere or the Arthur deal, which again, we know was made for purely economic reasons. That was what, four or five days ago. <laughs> so by this point, and so things are happening so fast at FC Barcelona. And I don't think this board is even in a position to be sacking another manager and attempting to spend money because you they'd have to then, I'm not sure exactly how his contract is 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 done up, but I would assume that if they sat Kiki Setien now, they at least have to pay him through the remainder of this year. And I know that there was that clause about whether or not he would even continue on, but I'm not sure if they even picked that up. So 
regardless, I mean, Kike said they would still have to pay him. So this board who just had to make an economic decision to make sure that they could, in theory, balance their books and not pay out of their own pocket. So they got rid of Artur. Now this is the same board that's going to try to sack a manager on July 1st. And I guess looking ahead to what? Yeah, the Champions League or sure. But I think the other thing is you were mentioning and talking about his ideas and implementing those. I was thinking about, and I mentioned on the weekend show about Manchu, that Manchu has showed with Barca B that he's deserved some minutes or some time this year. And I'm not saying start the player, but I think Barca are stuck in this place where the reason that Kike Setien keeps giving for Luis Suarez 90 minutes, that they say, well, he's going to come up with that goal. And he's a player that has to play into fitness. And the argument is always the same thing made for Messi. You don't rest him because he needs to be playing to stay fit. The argument is that Suarez and Messi and PK, if they're not playing, then they're not fit and they're going to fall out of form. And then you're going to have a bigger issue because why give Manchu 15 minutes if you're going to lose, if those 15 minutes take Luis Suarez out of form? And I would question whether or not he's really in form at all at the moment. So my point is that as I was also speaking as I'm watching to my wife as I'm watching this game, I'm looking at Puj. And this is going back to the point I was making earlier that Puj was good enough to play. He, it, Barca is better. They move the ball better. And yes, who knows that what's going to happen when De Jong comes back. If that eats into Puj, obviously it'll definitely eat into his minutes. But Puj is, makes Barca better. So clearly we saw that it was a player that we're always saying, oh, throw him in for the future. It'll help out in the future. But no, it makes him better in the present. And I've seen enough of Manchu and a little bit of Callado to say that they have the legs where they would have made the last 15 minutes of yesterday's game more dynamic. They would have been helpful in the last 15 minutes, not because of the future, not because we're trusting in those players to be the starters, not in a way that I know Martin Odegaard is a little farther along in his professional career and he had played in, in the Netherlands at a high level. But when he shows up at Real Sociedad at the beginning of this year, he was still just 21, 20 years old or 21 years old or whatever it was. He's the same age as Manchu and Callado, right? They're just playing the third division and not getting any opportunities. And Martin Odegaard is getting to start for Real Sociedad. So what's the difference, right? If these 20-year-olds who are in the third division, we say, oh, we don't know anything about them. And I always see that too, where people say it's, you know, and I don't mean to call out Kules, but it's this thing where we say, oh, we have to trust in the youth. Then you don't know who the youth is. But the truth here is that Callado and Manchu, they are players that have been good enough to play for the first team. And the, the report this week, they also came out about Chumi and Kike's uh, Severio and then Sergi Puj as well as uh, Guillaume Hame, that, again, I've watched Barca B, and those players are a little older, actually, than these these three that are now breaking in, or the same age or older, and they're just, they haven't been up to snuff, and they just haven't been good enough to be able to be first-team players. And it's not that all Barca B players could wind up being in the first team, or rather, it's that some have been good enough and some haven't. And there's, you have to almost look at it individual player, and I think Kayato and Manchu, they had the legs, and they have the initiative to even be playing now. And yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think we can move on from this question there. And so Ellie asked, and this is a response to your thinking about sacking Kike Setien, that if that happens, who would you pick for next season that can take the power back from the players? And he asked for a realistic option, not Pep. And even Xavi, it seems like, is tied into Victor Font and won't be coming unless it's Victor Font in 2021. And I'm going to throw out two names here. I think Marcelino, you'd have the same problem as Kike Setien. He was dismissed in September from Valencia for political reasons. He was really good for Valencia, but he's going to be another one of those long-standing La Liga managers that won't get the respect. And then Ronald Koeman is the other one, where he didn't come because he wanted to do the Euro this summer with the Netherlands, but with international football on hiatus. I mean, it's not going to be indefinite, but who knows? It's supposed to be next summer. Does that mean Ronald Koeman's now going to wait a whole nother summer? But then it's supposed to be Xavi in 2021, right? But then the kind of argument to all of that, I don't think the board it has the kind of plan, especially with their election in 2021, I don't think they're looking ahead past next week. Nope, totally agreed. I'm going to change the question. Which top manager in the world wants to work at Barca right now for this board? knowing what they have done over the last five, six years in terms of signings, in terms of, you know, not giving the managers that they are hiring the confidence and the, the tools to actually be successful. Nobody, nobody. I don't think anyone wants to work with Bartomeu anymore. Um, I think that, you know, having Alba, Pique, Busquets, Suarez, Messi at the age that they have, given the player power that they... And, you know, this normally used to happen behind closed doors, but in front of the world's media, you know, they, they go to Vigo and then the first thing Luis Suarez does after, saying, well, you know, we've tried our best, ask the manager why we're not winning sort of thing. 
Um, no, no manager wants that. So any manager that comes in, um, and I, I know I just mentioned Garcia Pimienta, etc. Any manager would be eaten alive by these players. So what Barca need is not a new manager, because you know if you're gonna have a manager and within five six games you're gonna be talking about sacking them, what manager can stand that? Nobody. I do agree that these players seem to respond better to players that had a great career as players themselves. Um, in other words, they're not nobodies, like in their eyes, Kike Setien seems to be. So I think Ronald Koeman is a good option, but I don't think he will come. I mean, he would be crazy to accept the job at Barca right now, given the fact that Bartomeu, I could be wrong here, but I think that in a year's time, Jose Maria Bartomeu has to be gone. I think the sauces have finally woken up, and, and I really don't see how Bartomeu, not, not himself, obviously, because he cannot be re-elected, but anyone that he supports will be getting the nod by the sauces uh, when the election comes. So I think that any manager that comes to Barca right now knows they will last a year because if Victor Font wins the election or whoever wins the election, which I think will be Victor Font uh, based on you know what I'm reading in Catalan media and my different sources in Catalonia, etc., he's going to bring Xavi anyway. So whoever gets the job at Barca right now will only last a year. And if I'm a top manager, I don't, I'm not interested on that. Yeah, and that's why I mentioned a guy like Marcelino. And but if you're going to bring in a Marcelino, why not just keep stick with Kike Setien, right? If you already have a manager, a former La Liga manager that isn't well respected by the players, why bring another one? So, and, and any other, as you mentioned, friends, as you're right, that any other uh, manager with at least a higher profile as a player, being a Ronald Coleman level. Why would they possibly say, okay, well, if you're probably just going to bring in Xavi next year anyway, and you know the board has pushed hard for Xavi, they pushed hard for him in January. Kike Setien wasn't the first option. So any manager that's going to come in, and people have even disparaged that Garcia Pimienta would would not work out or that the players would eat him alive or, you know, hope that he would bring some institutional something because of managing in La Masia all these years. But who knows what would happen there? And he also knows that it's probably a temporary thing or he'd be immediately sacked if things don't go wrong and the players would, would not work with him. So yeah, things look pretty bleak here. And the one thing I just want to throw on the end of that, and I was thinking about this, this is not really totally thought through. So this is where you can give me a little bit of criticism here, but I feel like, as I mentioned, I completely almost forgot about the social media scandal that happened before the break, how this is something that we're, we're almost completely forgetting, right? We're, and we're so busy yelling about Neymar before the break as well, because that's the name that Catalan Media and the board keeps throwing out there as well. And the Messi himself and the players saying, oh, we'd love to have him back. And now we find out that the club is getting rid of Mark Kukurea for not even pennies, but they're saying, hey, can you throw in more money? We don't want to buy back. We don't want uh, less. We want less percentage. If you heard about this one, that Marco Correa, they yeah. want a less percentage on future sales. And they're not even just not even saying like a buyback. They're saying they want less percentage on future sales and they wanted more money up front right now. So that means every single euro matters at this moment. And we had the gall and the audacity to talk about Neymar for three months are you nuts? Are you crazy? <laughs> what are we talking about? To, right? So now if you're if you're worrying about 4 million euros up front now as opposed to later, and then you think that you're going to just have, I mean, he's still going to cost 200 million euros. What, 196 euros is just going to poof out of out of thin air and FFP isn't going to matter. And right, it's it, it makes that all the things that we had talked about seem like even more fantasy. But all that said, I want to remind people here, this is not a defense of the board. But it is a fact that so many other sports clubs, and that being Real Madrid and Barcelona and Osasuna, there's very few, Athletic Club, there are very few actual still football clubs or sports clubs, which are run by elected officials. Because most other teams, you look at all the other giants too, you see the Glazers at Man United, or the Russian billionaire at Chelsea, or all the different ownership that AC Milan has gone through in recent seasons. So you keep saying that, oh, Barca the next Man United or AC Milan, but it, there never will be. Because with Barcelona, there's always someone to blame. Because you can always go straight to the top of a board, and elections mean that they can be elected out. And you can always have a a new era, a new change in a way that these clubs that are owned, unless the owners sell and they're pressured to sell, which in the world of big football and Champions League football doesn't make much sense for these billionaires to sell these teams. But unless those ownerships are forced to sell or choose to sell, nothing is going to change at that institutional level. You can change a sporting director or a coach and they put a lot of blame, much more blame on coaches. But for Barcelona, you know, it goes from 
Well, the Sosis, they control the club. So really, I guess the blame almost starts with some of the Sosis for who they put into power. And then you blame who's in power. And then you blame the managers. And then you blame the players. There's always drama happening at Barcelona because there's always a decision to be made. If something isn't working, then use your vote and change things. And that's a question from Polkit that we're just going to throw out here real quick. Is there any way the elections will be pushed forward into and ha- not happen in 2021, but happen now? The answer to Polkit is that, I mean, maybe that would have been the case if this pandemic happened. But if there are no fans, that means that there's no one there to physically vote. <laughs> and so a vote of no confidence, especially with just one year remaining until this election, I it, it just wouldn't make sense. It just It's not going to happen. There's I don't think there's any way it's going to happen because voting strictly has to happen in person. And I don't think, why would this board vote to change that when they're the ones who would be voted out through a vote of no confidence. It just it just wouldn't happen. That's just the way this would work. So 2021 exactly. will almost certainly be the election. Yeah. Exactly. I think that the other possibility is that Bartomeu realizes that, oops, I think we messed this up quite too much. Let's just uh, bring the election a year earlier and see what happens. But um, I, to be honest, I don't discard that that thought has gone through his head. Um, I mean, to be honest, right now at Barca, it is difficult to understand and to see anything that actually works well. Um, I know that vast majority of our listeners don't really care about this that much, but Barca lost the La Liga final yesterday in basketball. I don't know if you knew that, Dan. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. so it's really difficult to know. And, well, to work out went, and, and Bartomeu went to the match, assuming that there would be, I mean, this is cynical to say, and who knows if this is true, but he went because that was a final and then they wind up losing. So he's not at the Camp No for Atletico Madrid. Instead, he goes to the final for basketball and then they lose that as well. So it, it was it was a tough day for Jose Maria Bartomeu, yes. Yeah, it was not a great day to be a culé yesterday at all. Um, but the thing is, from a sporting perspective, Barca just need to change half the team. And, you know, Alba, Piqué, Busquets, Suarez, I don't want to include Messi on that because of what he's given the club and what he can still give. But there needs to be a, there needs to be a Laporta, Guardiola getting rid of Deco and Ronaldinho. That's the only thing that's going to, obviously the equivalent of that to modern times, that's the only thing that's going to change. You know, if you get a new president elected, that can say, right, Suarez, out, Alba, out, Busquets, out, and then enables space for, you know, your Dembele's, Griezmann's, Fatis, and obviously um, the young for Busquets and whatever. It, that is what is needed. There needs to be someone who comes in and says to these players, look, guys, you are employees of the club. You do not run it. The people that run the club are the sources, and the sources have given me the power to decide what I think is best, and what is best is that you guys, you've been fantastic for many years, but based on what you're offering the club today, and given your really large salaries as well, let's just throw that in there as well, you guys need to go. The whole of Barca needs to change. There was a video published the other day by Bleacher Report um, that I shared in the Facebook group with the Barca fans that we've got there. And it was so embarrassing. It was this guy, it was obviously a comedy, right? But it was this guy that was pretending to be Juventus calling... Barca, and then basically saying, yep, we'll give you a 23-year-old player that came from Brazil, um, was, um, you know, named the next Xavi. He was going to be the leader of Barca for 10 years, but in two years' time, you know, you can have it. Just give me, who, who can you give me? Oh, give me Piano. Yep, 30 million. Yep, he's, he'll, he'll do. He'll be fine. And the whole of the world is laughing at us. It just does not make any sense. Uh, to be honest, I don't want to be too dramatic, but this is how I feel it today, and this is how I need to share it with our audience. I think that unless there's a new president elected soon, we are heading into dark years again. There has not been enough preparation to work out what comes after Messi because of the fact that with Messi, we've got a higher chance to win. But he's been left alone to, to, you know, to iron up the cracks in the whole of the system for so many years that I'm really, really scared of what's coming. And I think that if Martubeo had... Like we say in Spanish, dos dedos de frente, so a couple of fingers off forehead, which means some decency, he would see that actually I need to call it a day now and let someone else come and fix this mess. But, and I, I don't have obviously empirical evidence of this, um, is he tidying out the accounts so that we don't discover anything bigger hiding underneath? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't mean to even, I, I guess my only counter argument to that about how dark the days would get, I think. When we talk about dark days, it is possible that Real Madrid winds up going on this run of winning a bunch of the Ligas. But I think the role of the Champions League and the money involved in the Champions League 
works in Barca's favor because even post Messi, if Barca can continue to make champion uh, or continue to make even Champions League spots, which when you have a core, even after Messi, when you have a core of whoever it may be, De Jong plus a ton of other players that are, we'll say, you know, high level players, even Ter Stegen in net for a few more years, right? That Barca will be able to get Champions League spots and that means they get Champions League money. And even if they still crash out in the round of 16, that, that, that is what dark days could look like, right? That you just, Barca goes through a few seasons without trophies. They crash out of the Copa del Rey a few times. They wind up being second, third, or fourth in the Liga. And they wind up being eliminated in the group stage of the round of 16 of Champions League. That is, I think, with the expectations of what Barca are, that is what dark days will look like. But as far as going, crashing down the, the table and finishing sixth or seventh or what have you, I just... That just doesn't happen in the big world of, of major football where, you know, before this break, we were talking about a Super League. So that's a topic for another time. But the Super League that was being proposed, Barca is obviously going to be a main character in that uh, if it ever happened. And the money that would be involved in that would just be gigantic. And just Barca and a lot of these major clubs that are consistently making the Champions League, especially in Spain, where they have less competition than it is the top six in uh, the Premier League that there's just going to be enough money coming in that regardless who's in charge, I'm not talking about this board or any board, regardless of who's in charge, there's going to be enough money there to burn where they're going to continue to make mistakes until they do get a de Young right, if that makes sense. They're going to make two mistakes in bringing in two players, and then they're going to get one right in de Young, or they're going to get two defenders wrong, and then they'll get a Ling Lei right. And they're just going to have the money to continue to make mistakes, and there's going to be enough wiggle room. So I, I don't... I think talking about dark days and things, that's a topic for another time. So, Frances, I think this might be the most depressing end we've ever had to a show. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was thinking of what to say now. I normally try and think of something positive to end the show with. Um, I'm just happy that Ricky Puch is playing every single game, and I hope that Ansu Fati has a way to 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 you know go back into the team soon to continue to shine, and hopefully someone somewhere is listening to you, and we can see Collado and Araujo, etc., playing regularly um other than that let's just leave it there for today yep before you know it we'll be playing against the yellow submarine against Villarreal, and the matches keep on coming so by the time you process this barca is going to have three more scandals and there might be many valleys but there's also very many hills so as i said messi hit 700 and there are a lot of great goals to see and a lot of good times so so we'll try to hit those both the good and the bad as we continue to try to do our best francis here on the barcelona podcast so we want to thank you again the listeners for tuning in you can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe find us on social media on twitter at the barcelona pod or at hilton d13 for me on instagram at the barcelona pod closed facebook group where we got these questions in la ronda it's tbpod.link backslash group for deeper dives and discussions we're on patreon at tbpod.link backslash patreon to help continue making these shows we're also on youtube at the barcelona podcast that's where i was talking about the tactical breakdown and match reviews i've had time to do so check us out there hit that subscription button and thanks again for listening to the barcelona podcast until next time we'll talk to you soon before the barca forza forza